live from the mist and shrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters. You're listening to the world famous Mountaintop Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Greetings, gentlemen, and welcome again to another episode of The Big Show. My name is Scott McKay coming at you from San Antonio, Texas, here on the Mountaintop Podcast. With me today is a co-host who's a new friend of mine. I just recently discovered his work while perusing Forbes.com. He's also been on the cover of Fox News with his stories in the past couple of weeks. His main areas of focus are manhood, politics, and he's also been the editor of a couple hunting magazines in the past. He's a New York Times bestselling author. Frank Miniter, welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me here. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. You know, man, the first thing I thought when I became acquainted with your work a couple weeks ago is, man, this guy is like my brother from another mother. It was really interesting because you talk about a lot of the things that I talk to these guys about in terms of masculinity being virtue and the whole idea of how a politically correct world is really diminishing our own masculinity and the power of our maleness even in our own minds. And I think that's really a shame that that's happening in this culture. And I know you agree. So the topic that you and I jointly picked for this podcast is manning up in an era of political correctness. Now, I usually don't make a pitch for people's books when I have them on my podcast till the very end, but the name of your book is so poignant and so right on the money, Frank, that I wanted to bring it up right now so we could launch the discussion with that very angle. And it's, of course, called This Will Make a Man of You. Let me tell you what, Frank, I'd love to know how you decided on that title because, you know, that is a very provocative title in this culture nowadays. Yeah, I certainly didn't want to be politically correct. And I'd, I'd written a book called The Ultimate Man's Survival Guide, which was on the skills a man should know. And I, in that book, I got to go with like UFC champ Matt Hughes. And I went with Juan Macho, who was one of the preeminent runners of the Bulls, you know, in Pamplona. I went, you know, major league pitchers and all sorts of interesting people. G. Gordon Liddy, if you knows who he was, sure. the man's man or his man's man, in order to find what, what are the skills a man should know. And I did that book and it did very well. But I had readers coming back to me and saying, well, okay, Frank, you've given the skills, as you know, and some of the disposition, about them, but what makes men? What's happening to men in today's society? How do we bring manliness back? And that seemed like an impossible question, but I kept toying with it as a journalist. And I ended up on my own rite of passage later in life. At 40, I found myself chasing Hemingway from Paris to Pamplona, chasing that old male icon of the 20th century who feminists have been destroying ever since. And as I followed his footsteps and ran with the bulls in Pamplona and all that stuff with this incredible group of people, I found actually all the steps and all the advice we've lost, all the things that we should be as men were in that story. And to me, that was just fascinating. So I continued to follow. It took several years to finally work that out, interviewing those people, um, doing everything in those streets with those bulls. I mean, I even ran the suicide run right at the beginning where you run at the bulls coming up the street. I, I did it all. As you go through that process, I found here are the answers. This is what we're losing. We're actually taking these real experiences away from men and not allow, allowing them the possibility to fail as they grow into an ideal, into what they really want to be. Not even allowing them to pick an ideal. We're not telling them they even should pick an ideal. Uh, we're watering that all down in this, this society, unfortunately, that's politically correct. You're right. And it's feminism is a part of the problem. And it's been going on for a very long time, tearing down what makes us men, what is supposed to make us men. Even the word manly is considered to be chauvinistic. So those are the things I went after. And in the end, I found, I think, what is the answer to what makes men? 
Well, first of all, I have to tell you, I'm extremely jealous that you've run with the Bulls in Pamplona because that thing's been hovering at the top of my bucket list for probably 20 years now. And it's one of those things that still eludes me because I just never seem to be in Spain in July. But, you know, maybe I'll get myself in a little better shape and do that again in the next couple of years. But I have to tell you, Hemingway is a great example. Not only is his work incredibly easy to read because he doesn't use any words longer than, say, two syllables, but, man, he really was a man's man. There are so many things he writes about, so many situations he found himself in that really do demonstrate manhood at a pretty high level. So that's really interesting that you did that. Well, he could be the sophisticated man, comfortable in the Paris Cafe, and he could be the man's man, comfortable in a safari tent in Zimbabwe. You know, it didn't matter. He could be both. And it's today we've split those two from each other where we have this urban you know, kind of male who's lost that part of his courage, who doesn't ever prove it himself. And then we have the rural guys who still hunt and still fish and still do those things, but they're not often that a part of the intelligentsia, as you'd say. At least they're put down in, in modern society, too much of, of pop culture society, and they're, they're mocked and made fun of. So we split these two parts of what a man is supposed to be. A man was supposed to be that well-rounded guy who could be both, and we've dissected them apart, and we've told them you can't, a man can't be all these things because I guess some women or some part of popular culture is threatened by this strong, manly male. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think you've really nailed something to the wall there, and I want to discuss it a little further. And that's that idea of being a renaissance man, even in an era where it's like, okay, look, you have the James Bond guys on one side and you have the Duck Dynasty guys on the other. You're going to have to be one or the other. You can't be both because that just doesn't make any sense because nowadays people like to put other people in a box. And I love what you just said about how Hemingway could be genteel and then go on a safari in Zimbabwe and still pretty much be the same man enjoying different pursuits. And I've always admired that also. And I've actually tried to model my own life like that, just like you have. I'm always joking with people about how I can fit in at a winery sipping wine and then, you know, spit sunflower seeds while I'm pulling my trailer with my pickup truck. You know, I'm both of those mm. guys in one. So I've always been a fan of that. And I love that idea. What would you recommend to guys to free themselves up to kind of have an open mind if they need to, or even feel like, hey, you know what? I need to think out of the box a little bit more and enjoy some of those things that are mainly pursuits just because I want to. Now, the only way to start is to pick an ideal, decide who you want to be. When I was a kid, I boxed in a gym with Floyd Patterson. Floyd Patterson, the former heavyweight champ, was actually my trainer. He'd take kids in, anyone, anyone who wanted to come and box, and he'd show them how. And on the first day, what he'd do is he'd put you in the ring with a professional boxer whose job it was to knock you down and beat you up a little bit without hurting you seriously because he wanted to see if you would man up and come back the second day. He wanted to find out if you were worth training. Now, okay, so I came back the next day after getting beat up pretty well. And I found myself in that old school rite of passage. And after about a year of being there, I thought I was getting pretty good. And actually, I asked uh, Mr. Patterson, I said, you know, you think I have what it takes to be a champ? And he, he, he put his hand on my shoulder and looked me in the eyes as, as he could in that manly but soft way. And he said, only a great fighter should be a boxer. Boxing destroys a lot of good fighters. <laughs> you know, and I felt terrible for a second. But then he said, well, wait a second. Here's what I mean. He said, when I was 12, I ended up in reform school for stealing. Right. And a teacher pulled me aside and he asked me, do you want to be one of those mugs, one of those kids around you all the way to real prison? Or do you want to be something better? If you want to be something better, look around and find a hero and follow that hero's footsteps. So Floyd Patterson said he got out of reform school. He looked around tough streets in New York where he was and he saw a boxer, he saw a fighter. And he said, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy all the way. 
and he went to the gym and he started boxing and that saved his life. That rite of passage he went through by working so hard to become the man he became grew him up into an ideal, made him something else, something better. So when I talk to someone young and they're asking me, what do I do? Or even middle age and what do I do to reform my life? How do I do this? Find an ideal and chase that. As you find that ideal and chase it, it'll take you into a rite of passage. As you go into that rite of passage, a guide will always present themselves. That's what's so interesting. There's always a coach, a sensei, or what have you there. Find that guide and start to follow in those footsteps of that hero. And as you do, it'll break you down and build you up on a real code of honor. That's what all men really do need. We need a code of values. We have to actually set those down, what those are. That's why, actually, I put a lot of codes of honor on the back of my book, This Will Make a Man of You, because I think people should read them and compare them and decide what's right for them, because not all of these things are equal, at least equal to your own life. And so as you do that, you'll find you go through that process, you'll, you'll raise up and you'll head towards that ideal. And you know, right now, as you all know, we're in a society that destroys ideals, it doesn't believe in honor and, re- and real things, it mocks these kinds of things, it makes fun of them. I think people have to break out of that. I think we have to look back again and see real ideals and go toward them. And as we do, we'll grow into the man the men really want to be. I think everything you said there is right on the money. There are several points there that I'd like to dive into a little bit more. First of all, I noticed you called Floyd Patterson, Mr. Patterson. <laughs> and probably rightly so. The second thing is this whole idea of, if I may paraphrase a little bit, finding a passion and then looking to someone who's already achieved what you want to achieve in that area and either having them coach you or emulating them in some way. It reminds me of the idea of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And what would you say to guys who haven't really found that passion yet? Well, they're they're being tricked. We're in a society right now that tells people to find what you like to do and then to try to do that until to see if you like it. If not, move on to something else. I don't think people should be trying what they want. I think they should look around and say who they want to be. It's a subtle change, but it's a big change. Because instead of looking at this job and maybe the problems of it or the benefits of it, you start to look at the ideal image of what that person doing that job is supposed to be. That starts to take you in that direction. Then you can humanly start to put yourself in those footsteps. You can see, am I part of this? Can I be this? Do I really want to be this? You know, I went to a military college, a real rite of passage, and about 30% of the students that first semester dropped out because it, they found that it wasn't for them. And I'm not giving them a hard time about that because it wasn't for them. You know, it's not for everybody. No rite of passage is for everybody. Running at the bulls, which I really enjoy, uh, isn't for everybody. Climbing cliffs, which I enjoy, or hunting, hunting dangerous game, which I do, uh, that's not for everybody. But when you look around at what your ideals are and start to chase them, you'll find what is important to you. Would you agree that sometimes men nowadays, given what we're facing politically with angry women telling us that we shouldn't even have the right to be what's been formerly known as masculine anymore, maybe some guys nowadays don't even feel like they're allowed to be who they want to be? How do they wrestle with that? What advice would you give those guys? The advice to that is simply to be. I mean, to be that guy anyway, to learn and understand who that guy really is. Because those people aren't giving you the answers. And it's it's interesting. This has been going on so long. You can look back to 1955, which is when Rebel Without a Cause was made, right? James Dean. Uh, James Dean, the, the, the iconic role he did there. Um, but you watch him in that movie. He's always looking at the ground. His shoulders are always slouched. He's very weak. And he's playing it beautifully. I think it's a great movie. But again and again in that movie, he asks his father, what does it take to be a man? His father never gives him an answer. There's no answer for him. At the end of the movie, there's still no answer for this guy. Okay, that's where it was then. That's where it still is now because we've been tearing it down ever since. We've never really given those answers. Feminists don't want answers to what makes a man because that would lead to that strong male they somehow have a problem with. So they've let it stay there. They've given people nothing in return. They've just been tearing it down for the last half century and more. 
So it's been going on a long time. So I think people have to look down. What are the ideals? What am I supposed to live by? And who am I supposed to be? And find role models if you can. I mean, as I said, I found Floyd Patterson. Find them as you go through life because they'll show you how to be. In my mind, it's a matter of becoming a man of character. And by doing that, you're saying to yourself, look, is what I'm into, is what I'm going after here the right thing? Does it leave the world a better place than I found it? Am I building people up or am I tearing them down? Am I practicing virtue or am I practicing vice? And then if you can tick off all of those boxes in the right direction, in the virtuous direction, the moral direction, however you define it based on your own personal worldview that I always tell guys they have to have. They have to have a cornerstone belief system and that will be what they build their character from. I would think that if you can check off all those boxes, Frank, then you know you shouldn't care what anybody else thinks. Especially if they're just trying to tear you down, if they're just trying to be negative, even if they're a particularly loud voice, if they're a dissenting voice, you should stick to your guns, be true to what you want. I know that's kind of a cliche, but in this context, I think it matters a little bit more because there are so many guys out there who are being kind of shy to do what they really want because they're fearing a backlash from women maybe they're not even attracted to or people who don't even think the way they do. Man, it's just really amazing what it's come to for a lot of guys out there because I talk to them every day, Frank, and they're like, well, you know, I'd love to be able to do this. I'd love to even just even be able to walk up to a woman and ask her out, but I'm afraid I'm going to get, you know, yelled at or, you know, the sexual harassment police are going to come at me for even saying hello when there's just nothing wrong with saying hello. There's one fundamental thing in their way that I think our society misses, and that's judgment. They're judging themselves and insecurity comes out of that. And they're judging that woman right away. If you can learn to pull that aside, uh, you'll find it much easier to talk to women. And, and actually, I find it fascinating. Look back at, say, Ayn Rand's characters and Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. Again and again, the lead roles, and it's women and men, her heroes, uh, they didn't take judgment from others. When they were confronted by those villains that were after them, they looked at them and said, but I don't think of you. I don't think you, you, you at all. Uh, I don't think of myself in context to what your thoughts are. They're re- totally irrelevant to me and who I am. And I think that's where a man needs to be, not to judge, but to only look upon and try to understand. If I look back in history or even in the present and I consider men who are approaching greatness, all of them had a point that they wanted to assert. They weren't merely following someone else's established rules. They weren't following for the propaganda. And every country has propaganda, by the way, including our own. Mm -hmm. And they weren't simply shying away from what they thought might be true because they were scared of what other people would do in response to that. They simply went after it. And of course, many of those guys are people we agree with and people we don't agree with can also be considered great, especially by other people. But it all comes down to that, doesn't it? You have to know what you believe and you have to make a stand for it. Yeah, but it's hard to do that because you do have to be open-minded the changes that come your way. I don't think your core, core values should change once they're solidified and developed. But as you move through life, you're, you're looking at other people in a situation you're in, in a manly way, in a very clean, clear way, hopefully, you do have to change uh, not your values, but how you approach them. Um, and I think we're, we're lost in those superficial changes at the approach, and we're judging that the values must be changing then underneath. Uh, you know, modern society, this morally relative universe we're in, doesn't believe that values are real and that they're eternal and they're universal when they really are. And I'm not I'm hardly the first to say that. I mean, C.S. Lewis said it very well in his book, Mere Christianity, that he looked at the codes of values around the world from Japan and from the ancient Greeks and, and so on. And he compared them and he found that the rules over and over again were often the same. 
because we are acting under a universal court of values as human beings. Um, so I, I think we're washing that away too much, but maybe I'm going off on a tangent on you, but I, I think we do need that core value to be that guy we want to be, but we do have to be open-minded as we navigate this world. I think you make a good point, and I think C.S. Lewis is a brilliant example of exactly that point you're making. C.S. Lewis, of course, started off as a very vocal and staunch critic of Christianity and went out to try to disprove the resurrection figure, and if he could do that, that would be the end of Christianity as anyone knows it, and ended up converting to Christianity. So, indeed, as we move through life, we have our core values, but instead of waffling and saying to whatever group of people is in front of us, whatever we think they want to hear for the sake of popularity, we do stick to our guns, but those guns can evolve over time. Mm -hmm. In other words, hey, you know, I used to think this way, but now that I've gotten a little bit more mature, I've learned that, you know, maybe some of the things I did in the past were kind of boorish or weren't quite as refined as they should be. And now I'm a better man and I make decisions more effectively, et cetera, et cetera, because I'm older and I've been because I'm a little older and I have more life experience. I think that's just commonly called wisdom. A great example that comes to mind for me is the band A Tribe Called Quest just released their first album in years and years. A seminal hip-hop group, most widely known in the early 90s. And their newest song, of course, if you've heard it, is called We the People. And it's very, very critical of anybody who thinks that the Muslims are bad people, who thinks that the black folks or the poor folks or the gay folks are all bad people. You know, they're decrying that. And someone in an interview said to him, wait a minute, don't you have this song from 1991 where you're pretty hard on gay guys? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, that. And they kind of didn't have an answer for it. But the truth of the matter is, people's thinking about accepting homosexuals and you know not making fun of and denigrating people has really come a long way since then. And I mean, political correctness aside, I don't think people should be blatantly abused and made fun of just because of their sexual orientation. And we've talked about that on this show. You know, but when I was in school, everybody called each other a faggot. And everybody said, oh, you know, that's gay when it's really just something they weren't interested in. And all that has gone by the wayside. But here they are, the political correctness police who want to stick it to these guys 20 years later are giving them no credit for having evolved their thinking like the rest of us. And they're just saying, well, you guys are just hypocrites. You know what I mean? And I think that's a shame because it kind of keeps people from feeling like they can still be authentic even as they move forward in this life. But I think we absolutely can. So I really admire what you just said. Let me nail that down this way because it's interesting what we've done to the word gentleman. You go back to the 17th century and a gentleman was just a man of wealth. Yeah. And in the, the 18th and the 19th century, it was refined, this happened in England, into a man of character. But that man, arguably, was still a chauvinist by today's definition. He didn't want women to vote and that sort of thing. I mean, women didn't get the vote in the U.S. until 1920. Um, so that's who that guy was. But then as you, you follow the progression of what a gentleman was always supposed to be, I find that it really peaked in the 1930s and 1940s. After women got their rights and equality came on, and there were still uh, you know, issues with, with homophobia and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, it was still there, so it wasn't perfect. But some of the men, especially in classic film, um, started to really epitomize, Humphrey Bogart type characters, started to really epitomize what that gentleman was. He, he fought for the weak. He fought for everybody. There was universal values. Um, but he was a stand-up guy with real honor. He went and fought for his country and so on. And then you see, as you follow the regression of what happened to a gentleman, you, you see he's turned into an anti-hero later in the 20th century, where he no longer believes in right and wrong. He doesn't believe he can really fight for right and wrong. He doesn't believe that he can understand what right and wrong are anymore, as his values are torn down and his whole basis is ripped out from underneath him. 
And now we get to where we are today where he's lost. He's looking around. He says, where's my basis? Where's my values? Do I have values? Are they real? Um, and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, I really do think that's evolved over the years. And I think there's kind of been an ebb and flow to it. You look at like, say, for example, a John Wayne, who isn't widely considered a gentleman per se, but he absolutely did in most of his movies fight for what was right and for the ideals of others and stand up for justice and all of that. So that whole idea of gentleman, I think, really has been thought of as a guy, you know, kind of in a suit and a kind of a bowler hat, you know, opening oh, the sure. door for people. It's an old-fashioned idea. Right, exactly. Nowadays, I think men want to be a good, solid man of character. They want to treat women right. But they're so afraid of offending people that most guys are just sitting around doing nothing but surfing porn and staying away from being even social with women anymore. Well, you hit on it there because you tell people to be a gentleman and they think you're telling them to be boring. You're supposed to just yeah. be polite and stand back. And Okay, that's part of being a gentleman, absolutely. But you're also supposed to be that courageous man who stands up and fights for the lady in distress or for the weaker and so on or for your own honor. I mean, you're supposed to be that stand-up, courageous guy. You're actually, in the end, if you look at who that guy is and is supposed to be, having a lot more fun instead of living that quiet, apologetic life, that unmanly life. Uh, where no one can trust you and you're not even sure who you are, you get to stand up and be the hero of your own journey. I, I think that's much more courageous and much more fun. Oh, yeah. And you know what really has struck me since I've gone on this own journey in my own life, Frank, is how much more I feel alive and how much better I feel about myself. And frankly, how much more I'm enjoying the company of other people, both male and female, as I do exactly what you're talking about. I just am who I am. Um, I'm always evolving. I always want to become a better man. But when I stopped fearing what people who don't agree with me think and did what I felt was right in the name of being a man of character, my quality of life has shot through the roof. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you a question because I want to get right down to the brass tacks here in terms of the whole idea of dealing with political correctness here in the 21st century. Because it's not getting better, it's getting worse for men out there. And whether you believe this is the way we should be going or it's the opposite way we should be going, all I know is men in particular feel alienated. That's the word I'm going to use. We don't even know what it means to be a man anymore. For God's sake, I saw an article the other day where a woman was absolutely just blowing men in general out of the tub for having the audacity to try to open a door for her. <laughs> Now, let's see. If I sit there and let women twist in the wind and do nothing for them, then I'm this terrible guy. If I try to help them and open the door for them, then I'm also this terrible guy. If I voted for this person, I'm a terrible guy. But if I went ahead and voted for this other person, well, then you're just being dishonest because you're kowtowing to us, trying to make us like you, when in reality, you're this dishonest guy who would rather vote for this other person. It's a lose-lose for men out there. And I want to know what you would tell guys in terms of sorting all this out. I mean, what should we listen to? What about modern culture really makes sense? What makes you more of a gentleman in ways that culture has evolved compared to even like 20 or 30 years ago? And what really are the danger zones, Frank, where if we start really identifying with the political correctness that's thrown our way, we're in danger of losing our manhood? Where are the sheep and the goats here? Where's the good and the bad in it? <laughs> well, I think to find the real men, what makes men, I mean, that was part of my quest when, when writing this to make a man of you. I, as I looked at that, I thought, well, okay, let me go. Manliness is in crisis. And I think we, we all agree it is. Yeah. And let me go to the places where 
we all agree still make people of character, not just men, men and women of character. So let me talk to the Navy SEALs. Let me talk to the Green Berets. Let me talk to the New York Fire Department. Let me talk to our finest in blue. Let me, let me talk to our nurses and doctors. I mean, these people are doing real things and living up in this manly way, in this character-driven way. And so as I, as I spoke to them and dealt with them, I realized that what was creating them, building them into who they are, I mean, you could argue those vocations attract a certain type of person, or you can argue they build a certain, I think it's both. And so, so as I talked to them and investigated that, I found it was that real experience that shook them somehow, that somehow took the chip off their shoulder, took that insecurity away from them, kind of reset them and made them look around and go, oh, I'm chasing this ideal. This is what I'm trying to become and physically doing it, not, not just mentally doing it. I think too many people live in these fake universes now on social media and video games and movies and these kinds of things where they're not testing themselves physically. I think you actually have to go and test your own mortality. Don't take some serious threat if you don't want to, but you have to go and test yourself at least a little bit to push yourself to break out of yourself and up into something better. I mean, there's a reason why boot camp is three months long. It's that first jarring experience of shaving your head and being yelled at by a drill sergeant, chased around, and all that kind of stuff. But it's not just one day long. You know, it's it's three months long because it's designed to, to break you down and build you up onto something else. And as I look at men and I see the ones who I admire most, especially as they get later in age, it's those people who went and physically climbed mountains because that was something they they wanted to do and they broke through levels of themselves to do it and helped others do it. Or I, I find a nurse who, who goes out of her way again and again and in a very physical way to help those, those in need around her physically um, to do that. I find that person builds into that person of character. So I, I think we have to go after real things honorably. You know, listening to you talk, Frank, a question hit me like a ton of bricks. Does the Army require that drill sergeants be politically correct nowadays? I can't imagine a politically correct drill sergeant. Can you? Uh, there's actually the, the Army, the military is very politically correct. You know, I went to a military academy and I decided, well, I didn't decide to go to the military. I'm, I'm deaf in my left ear, so I couldn't. But um, a lot of my friends are in, in the military, um, and I'll talk to them. And they're, they're in high-ranking positions now, and I, and I talk to them a lot. And what I find, there's a bureaucratically deep thing there that is affected by a lot of political correctness. There are a lot of incredible people in the military, and there's a lot of reality still there. Um, and it's making some of our nation's finest in a very real way still. But from the top, there is a sickness there uh, of political correctness that I'm, I'm hoping will be set straight. And, I, and when I say that, I, I think some people are going to misinterpret uh, and think, well, he's talking about allowing women into this special force, this kind of thing. Actually, I don't, I don't mean that at all. I think women can also stand up and be strong people of character, too. And if they can prove their way into any of those fighting forces and go for it, but they shouldn't change the levels they have to go through in order to make it easier for someone else to get in there of some gender or sexual orientation to get in there. They should be just as rigorous and hard. I mean, a good friend of mine is a retired Green Beret who taught at the school at Fort Bragg for Green Berets for 10 years uh, to build those people into that character. And he told me, look, I served. He was wounded very badly in Afghanistan. He says, look, I served on those teams. I did these things. And when it came down to it, we picked our own team. And, you know, you're picking an A-team. That's where the term A-team comes from. You're picking an odd assortment of people to fit together into a cohesive part to solve the mission, to do what the mission is. And those parts don't always look smart, but until you understand what you're doing, it makes sense. So if a woman fits into that and in some in some role, great. If not, she shouldn't be there, which is how it's run now. I mean, a Green Beret team can actually vote out its captain, uh, the officer in charge. They can actually vote them out. That's That's how those teams are run. And if that culture has changed, then I think we lose everything. Now, looking at political correctness from the idea of it no longer being about the intent of the speaker, but how someone else takes what's being said. 
If they're offended, then something was wrong. The intent of the speaker, the intent of the person who said something offensive to the other person almost doesn't even matter anymore. It seems to me that if we go into war thinking, okay, I don't want to hurt the enemy's feelings, then we're weakening ourselves as a military. So surely that's not what you're talking about. No, the opposite. If we have to water down what they have to go through to reach those levels, we take the power away from that team that we're asking, the special forces team, to go in and do the job they have to do for a politically correct reason, then we've destroyed the whole model. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But I I don't think you have to put a gender rule or another overarching rule on that. I think that's actually the politically correct uh, way to do that that just just destroys the whole model in the first place. So I, I see it as you have to let military leaders decide what's best for their units and their teams as they go forward. And you have to trust them on the ground instead of reaching down on top of them with political correctness in one way or another. Now, getting back to this whole idea of what guys should be wary of in terms of political correctness and what may actually help us mold into men of higher character, the first thing that comes to mind is the complaining. If I feel victimized, and I think people who are very, very much into their political correctness, are very interested a lot of times in their right to complain, their right to point a finger at someone else and say, look, you did this to me. I think that's something men should avoid like the plague if they'd like to be real men. Because if you're a victim, you've lost all your power. Someone's done this to you, therefore they need to pay. So this whole idea of reparation and they owe me something, that whole angle of political correctness I think is very dangerous to masculinity. But on the other side of the ledger, I think this whole idea of, hey, look, we do need to reexamine how we've treated people in the past. You know, if we've not given women equal pay for equal work, if we've abused them, if we've taken sexual liberties with them that we shouldn't have, you know, if you watch old movies or watch Mad Men, you know, we've come a long way in those areas and it's probably for the best. Those angles in terms of how we treat people, I think, are perfectly good ways to discuss things. I think the whole idea of getting rid of racism, where racism really exists, even to the point of starting to respect other cultures where maybe we didn't respect them back in the days of old Jerry Lewis movies or whatever, all that is good. But what worries me the most about political correctness, Frank, is that learned helplessness. (laughs) When I look back at classic movies, there's one recurring line, that simple line that I really like. And it's often the man, you know, will look at the the woman or or a guy who did something and he'll just say, I didn't like that. (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't argue. He doesn't get down on the level. He doesn't put context in it. He doesn't get nasty. There's none of that there. I didn't like that. I'll state that once. If you do that again, I'm walking in the other direction. I think that's the way a man is supposed to act. My wife loves to watch those housewife shows, so I'm often in the room and they're on, and I, I see them bicker and I see them find some little point and they just needle at it until and they turn that little sore into a big wound and they just continue and fight and fight. I think that's very unmanly. There are mostly women doing that. Some of the men there are doing that. But the manliest men that are their husbands and things, you see them pulling away and getting quiet. They're, they pull out of it. It used to be, though, I think a man would step in and check it at a certain point and go, OK, enough. You know, I didn't like that. Let's move on and get over it. But I, I, I just don't see society understanding that anymore. Now, the name of your book, as we mentioned earlier, is This Will Make a Man of You. Now, I know some of the topics you've written about in there and they're fascinating, but I'd like for you to tell these guys yourself what they can expect when they read that book. Yeah, well, I chased Ernest Hemingway from the cafes in Paris to the wild streets of Pamplona during Enciero, the running of the bulls, as a real rite of passage. And I did that because I wanted to do it, not because I thought I was going to write about it. But within that tale, investigating Hemingway and the characters in The Sun Also Rises and who he really was as well, and meeting the people doing that thing, I found was actually changing them into something better, men and women, but mostly men, but men and women. And 
let me give you an example. The first time I ran, I was in the street, right? And they closed the barriers at 7.30, but the bulls don't come until 8. So you have 30 minutes where you're, you're trapped in the street. You're not allowed to leave. Once they close the barriers, you're stuck. You're running with the bulls. That's the way it is, right? So in, that, in those 30 minutes, there's a guy next to me, and he's from Chicago, and we're talking. And at first, he's, he's very happy and jovial and you know, bragging a little bit about what he's going to do with the bulls and all this kind of stuff. But as it got closer and closer to that time when the bulls were going to come, he started to fall apart. You could literally see his whole face melting. He started to visualize himself being gutted by these bulls, right? So he decided, that's it. I have to get out of here. I can't stay in here. So he tries to go under the barrier to get out. And a cop kicks him back into the street. And a Spanish cop, he looks at him and he says in English, he says, you wanted to be a man and run with the bulls. Now you must be a man and run with the bulls. But the guy, he was totally out of it. You know, He's just picturing himself being killed in the street. So he goes under the fence again. This time the cop just bang, 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 beats him up, puts him down on the ground, says, stay there. I mean, the guy was going to be arrested and taken to a Spanish prison after this. And I see this happen in front of me and I see him fall apart. And then the bulls come and I run. And later I, I asked my sensei to the whole thing, Juan Macho, he said, was that right? What happened there? You know, and he said, well, look, if he was allowed to clamber over those barriers or under those barriers when the bulls were coming and other people did too, you end up with a jam in the street. You end up with a jam in the street. The bulls have to get through that. Spanish fighting bulls have their horns facing forward. So they're going to go right into those, that pile of people and they're going to kill people. So that cop there was actually a guide. He was there helping us to be men, but he was also showing us to man up to do the right thing. Because actually doing that thing by going, trying to go out of the street could harm others. You know, and there actually are rules also that he taught me to run with the bulls. Like don't grab the bull by the tail or don't touch the bull or don't distract the bull. That's because if you distract the bull and pull him out of the herd, he'll start then attacking people. So by following those rules, you're actually following a code of values that's protecting yourself and all the other people in the street with you. So by going through that real experience, it's tearing something down and building something up in yourself as you really learn something that I think a lot of society doesn't get today, something actual and real. I mean, a bull is not an idea. A bull is, is reality. The bull can kill you. Um, so I went through that experience and I survived the experience as I look back because Juan Macho taught me how to run. So I had that in my mind. I had those the skills I needed to, to learn to run with the bulls, where that guy who fell apart in himself didn't know what to do, so he lost it because he didn't know the skills. He didn't seek out the answers. So that's what I do in my book. I try to give those answers, give that way, show that rite of passage so men can prove themselves again. You know, the irony of what you were talking about with the story of the guy who wanted to bow out is it ended up worse for him probably than it would have ever been if he just would have freaking ran with the bulls. Yeah, he's got a yellow hole shot through him uh, for the rest of his life because he didn't stand up and be the man at that time. And he ended up missing the whole fiesta and, and likely spent the time in a Spanish jail. And got beat up by the cop. He got beat up by the cop. When most of the footage I've ever seen of running with the bulls, most people come out of it pretty unscathed unless they're just stupid. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's about 2,000 people in the street on any given day, and about six of them will get gored. I mean, not horribly. And, and every couple of years, somebody does get killed. Yeah, so it, it is dangerous. Thousands. but. Your, your odds of getting hurt are, are pretty slim. You know, another thing that I think has not been discussed in this show, but I want to give a little bit of lip service to it before we close, because it's probably the topic of a completely different show. As a matter of fact, it definitely is. And that's the role of fatherhood. So many guys don't have a role model, don't have this mentor teaching them how to be a real man vis-a-vis -vis this bombardment from a politically correct press and media and the entertainment industry, and dare I say it, even the music we listen to. And, you know, if you're a father and you're raising sons and you're raising daughters, don't underestimate the impact of who you are on who your kids are going to become. 
You know, guys, be that man you know you can be. Strive to be that man of character. Evolve like we've been talking about, and you will leave a tremendous legacy, just like we talked about on a recent show, you'll recall. Frank, uh, your book is amazing. I love everything you talk about. Like I said, uh, you and I are on the same page about so much. I want to thank you again for a great conversation that I think really is going to inspire a lot of guys. Thanks for having me, Scott. And gentlemen, if you haven't gone to mountaintoppodcast.com front slash coaching and discovered how to get in on a coaching program that's going to make you the kind of man that we talked about here on this show, helping you evolve into the greatest man you can possibly be, the best version of your authentic self, definitely go check out that webpage for all the information. We'll get in touch with you. We'll get on the phone with you and figure out the right plan for you and see if it's a good fit. Also, while you're there, make sure you get in on the newsletter where I give you actionable advice every day on how to get better with women in your relationships, in your career, and uh, pretty much how to be a better man in general. So as always, this is Scott McKay from San Antonio, Texas. Until I talk to you again on the next big episode, be good out there. Mountaintop Podcast is copyright 2016 by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.mountaintoppodcast.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the X and Y Communications newsletter. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for the Mountaintop Podcast. Podcast.